Amen. Good morning. So good to see you here today at Faith Church in Connecticut. Denise and I, of course, have come all the way from Russia. And we're happy to tell you that we have been colluding with Russia for 28 years. <laughs> Secrets out. And God is doing wonderful things in Russia. And we're so grateful that he called us there and our sons. We have eight grandchildren. When we get together as a family, there is almost no English spoken in our home. We are totally immigrated into Russia and so grateful to be there. You know, the best place to be is where God calls you to be. That's the best place to be. But we're glad to be with you today. It's such a privilege. We're thankful for Pastor Frank and Lisa. Aren't you grateful for your pastors? <laughs> pastor Frank was really chosen by God to be the pastor of this church. He was a man that was on time for this job. But it's a privilege to be with you. I want to tell you about a few books. I have a book on the table, which is called Dress to Kill. Do any of you have this book? This book is very read all over the world. Actually, a million copies of this book have been sold. It's about spiritual warfare and spiritual armor. If you don't have this, this is a book that you really should have. There's another book, brand new, called Signs You'll See Just Before Jesus Comes. This is a rational approach to the second coming. I don't like it when prophecy teachers scare people with sensationalism. So I decided to look very rationally, very logically at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24 about the signs we'll see just before he comes. And that is what this book is about. And I would encourage you to pick one of these up. It's just tremendous. And then there's one more book we're going to mention. Pastor Frank already mentioned it. And that's Denise's book. And it's called Who Stole Cinderella? The Art of Living Happily Ever After. How many of you want to live happily ever after in your marriage? Well, this book will help you. It is just really a gift. But open your Bibles today to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. That's where we're going to begin today. But I want us to begin with prayer. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the amazing Word of God. And Holy Spirit, we count it a privilege to stand in this pulpit today and to speak this Word. You're the one who offered the, authored this book. And today I ask you to open it to us teach it to us. We don't just want to hear the word of God, but we ask you to take us into the scriptures that we would be in them and we would feel them. We would see them as we've never seen them before. We thank you that we will leave this place transformed in Jesus name. And everybody said, amen. Open your Bibles to John chapter six. And today I'm going to be reading from the King James version. You have your Bibles today? Let me see your Bibles. Hold your Bible up in there. Always bring your Bible when you come to church. Wonderful. So open your Bibles to John chapter 6, and we're going to begin in verse 1. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great multitude followed him, because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover feast of the Jews was nigh. And when Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he said unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew already what he would do. But today I want us to go back to verse 1, and then we're going to take this point by point. First of all, the Bible says after these things. 
When the Bible says after these things, it's actually a reference to many signs and wonders which Jesus had already works. Jesus did so many signs and wonders in his ministry. Then the last chapter of the Gospel of John in the 25th verse, the Apostle John wrote that if it were possible, it's very interesting when you read this in the Greek language because it means that it's not possible. It's not possible, but if it were possible. That's actually what the Greek means. It's not possible, but if it were possible to write down everything that Jesus did, the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. It is amazing. Because if you study the four Gospels and if you put them together chronologically, how many days of Jesus' life do you think we actually have a record of if you compile all four Gospels together? And the answer is, if you compile all four Gospels together chronologically, day by day, sequence by sequence, at a maximum, at a maximum, there's about 42 days of Jesus' life. That's all that we have a record of, and most scholars agree it's probably 27. It took four Gospels to record what Jesus did in 27 days, and we don't have one single record of an entire day. All we have are snapshots or fragments of those 27 days, and it took four Gospels to record fragments of 27 days. This is why the last verse in the Gospel of John said, if it were possible, it's not possible. But if it were possible to write down everything that Jesus did, the world could not contain the books that would be written. If you were with Jesus, there was always something to see. There was always something to hear. He was the Word made flesh. And wherever he was, signs and wonders simply abounded. So now when we come to John chapter 6 and verse 1, it says, after these things... All of these miraculous events. Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great multitude followed him. When the Bible says a great multitude, in Greek it is the word oklos polos. It's very important because only one of those words is required in Greek. The word oklos already by itself describes a massive, massive multitude. But when you add the word polos to it, the word polos magnifies the word oklos. So this wasn't just a large multitude. This was a massive, massive, massive multitude. And in fact, it was the largest multitude that had ever followed his ministry up until that moment. Well, when Jesus came across the Sea of Tiberias, he came near to the city of Capernaum. Capernaum was the city where Jesus' ministry was based. He began in the city of Nazareth. But the people of Nazareth would not receive his ministry, so Jesus relocated, and he relocated to the city of Capernaum, and he actually lived in Peter's house. And if you ever go to Israel today, you can still visit the ruins of Peter's house. It is well-preserved in the ancient city of Capernaum. And even during Jesus' life, Jesus was the primary tourist attraction in the city of Capernaum. Even during his lifetime, it was called the city of Jesus. And people came from all over Galilee because of the signs and the wonders that he was doing. And now when we come to John chapter 6, we find the multitudes are coming and coming. And the crowds are getting bigger and bigger. It's not just oklus, a multitude, but it's oklus polus magnified, a massive, massive multitude. And the Bible says they followed him. 
And in fact, the word followed, the Greek tense means they habitually followed and followed and followed and followed and followed and followed and followed him almost like addicts. If Jesus turned north, the entire multitude turned north. If Jesus turned west, they turned west. If Jesus turned south, they turned south. They followed and followed. The Greek tense literally means they habitually kept on following and following and following. And the Bible tells us why. Because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. And when the Bible says they saw, the Greek tense agrees with the word followed. Just as they followed and followed and followed and followed and followed, the Greek means because they were seen and seen and seen and seen and seen, which means, again, if you were with Jesus, there was always something to see. And what were they seeing? The Bible tells us. They were seeing his miracles, which he did on them, that were diseased. The word did is the Greek word poieo. The word poieo always carries the idea of creativity, which means Jesus was not just healing people of headaches or high blood pressure. This word did, the Greek word poieo, carries the idea of creativity. Creative miracles were in operation. Eyes were being created where there were no eyes. Arms were being created where there were no arms. Miracles of a creative nature were taking place. In fact, the King James Version says, which he did on them that were diseased. The word on in Greek is the word epi. It means up on. It describes a divine invasion of power which literally came upon the entire Galilee. When Jesus' ministry began, it was like an invasion of heavenly power literally descended upon the entire Galilee. It came upon them, upon all them that were diseased. And verse 3 says, And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Verse 4, And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. Well, the city of Capernaum was built right on the Sea of Galilee, but right on the other side of the city of Capernaum was a road which was called the Via Maris. Today there's a modern highway there. That modern highway is built right on top of this ancient road. And the Via Maris went all the way from Egypt all the way to the city of Damascus. And if you were going to travel from the north to Jerusalem, you would travel on the Via Maris. You would travel on this road that ran right by the city of Capernaum. Well, at this particular time, the Bible tells us the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. And according to Jewish tradition, all Jews went to Jerusalem at the time of the Passover, which meant everyone in the north of Israel were traveling on that road. All of them, hundreds and thousands of people were traveling on the road, traveling from the north of Israel, from the area near Damascus, all the way to the city of Jerusalem. Everyone was en route to Jerusalem at this moment. And in some way, Jesus has now separated himself from the multitude. And he and his disciples have gone up into a mountain. You're going to find later in the text that the Bible says there was a lot of grass there. It was a beautiful place. You can go there today from the top of that mountain. There's a beautiful view of the Sea of Galilee. It's a beautiful place to sit, to relax. And Jesus has separated himself after very intense ministry. And now he and his disciples are sitting, is what the King James Version says. The Greek actually says they were, re- they were reclining. And the Bible tells us in verse 5, when Jesus lifted up his eyes, he lifted up his eyes because he was reclining there on the grass with his disciples. 
And when Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw, the word saw is the Greek word theomai. The word theomai is the same Greek word for a theater. In fact, it's where we get the word for a theater. Jesus saw this massive multitude coming up the side of the mountain toward him. And in fact, the King James Version says, he saw a great company come unto him. Unto in Greek is the word pros. It means directly to him. He knew they were not coming to see Peter or James or John or anyone else. That entire multitude had now left the main highway down below at the bottom of the mountain. Someone has identified the fact that Jesus is on the top of the mountain and now a massive detour has taken place as thousands of people have turned. And now they're coming up the side of the mountain, unto him, the Greek word pros, he knew they were headed directly toward him. And the Bible says Jesus saw it. When he looked at it, it was like watching a theatrical production. This was an amazing sight to see. Jesus saw thousands of people turning off of the Via Maris, all turning to come up the side of the mountain directly toward him. And the Bible says he said to Philip, when shall we buy bread that these may eat? Well, first of all, the word buy is the Greek word agarazzo. It's the same Greek word for a marketplace. And it is the same Greek word which means to make a purchase. If you were going to translate this correctly, it would say, are there any markets up here where we can buy bread to feed these people? And the question is ridiculous because they were on the top of a mountain, nowhere near a city. Of course, there's no marketplace there, and there's nowhere to buy bread. And what would be the chances that you could find that much bread to feed a multitude of this size? The question seemed preposterous. But there's one thing we need to know about Jesus. Jesus will never turn anyone away. The disciples saw a crisis. Jesus saw an opportunity. Faith always sees opportunity. And Jesus says to Philip, is there any place up here where we can buy bread that these may eat? Look at verse 6. And this he said to what? To prove him. That word prove is the Greek perazzo, which means to test something, to discover a deficiency. To test something, to discover a deficiency. This he said to test him. You could translate it, this he said to prove him, or better, this he said to expose him. For he already knew what he was going to do. If Jesus already knew what he was going to do, then why did he ask the question? Because with one question, Jesus was going to reveal the real status of the disciples' faith. Now remember, the last verse in the Gospel of John says, if it were possible to write everything that Jesus did, the world could not contain the books that would be written. The multitude was following and following and following and following and following him because they were seeing and seeing and seeing and continually seeing his miracles, which he did upon. It was an invasion of divine power that had entered the Galilee, and the multitude was seeing. But if a multitude was seeing the signs and wonders, then how many miracles had the disciples seen? 
It was the disciples that were on the stage. It was the disciples that were assisting Jesus. The disciples were at his side. They didn't see the signs and wonders from a distance. They were on the platform. They saw it. They felt it. They knew that invasion of power. They had seen him do everything. But they had never seen him feed a multitude. And you would think after everything they had experienced, that they would have said, Lord, we don't know how you're going to do it, but you are Jesus. We've seen you do everything. And Lord, in this moment, we know you're going to provide. But Jesus asked this question for one explicit purpose, to prove him, to expose him, to reveal a deficiency. Rather than say, Lord, we trust you, the disciples in this moment went into a state of panic. And they began to do the ridiculous. They began searching for food to meet the need by themselves. And in fact, the Bible tells us in verse 7, Philip answered him, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may take a little. The word little is the Greek word mikron. It's where we get the word for something microscopic. Lord, if we had 200 penny worth of bread, even that would not be enough to buy a microscopic fragment to feed everyone in this multitude. And you're going to see in just a moment how big was the multitude. Well, what is penny worth of bread? 200 penny worth of bread. In Greek, it is the word denarius. And I brought a denarius to show you. This is a real denarius. And Pastor Frank, this is for you. This is a real denarius from the time of Antoninus Pius in the second century. It's very small. But back in those days, if you worked an entire day, at the end of the day, you were paid one denarius. This was an entire day's wage. So when Philip said, Lord, if we had 200 penny worth of bread, the Greek says 200 denarii, it was the equivalent of saying, Lord, if we were able to accumulate 200 days of income, that's really what it meant. Even 200 days of income would not be enough to buy enough bread to feed everyone in this crowd a microscopic fragment 200 days of income is a lot of money. Think how much money, how much bread you could buy with 200 days of income. But when Philip looked at the crowd that was ascending the side of the hill, this big theatrical dramatic production, all of these thousands of people coming directly toward Jesus, Philip said, Lord, this is an impossible situation. So rather than trust Jesus, they begin to move into a state of panic and begin working the crowd, looking for food, as if somehow they're going to find enough food in that crowd to feed the mouths of thousands of people. And the Bible tells us in verse 8, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a lad here which has five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? Well, first of all, the word lad in Greek is the word paiderion. It is a form of the word pais. The word pais describes a little boy. But when the word pais becomes the word paiderion, it's not just a little boy. It is a little, little boy. This boy was probably between five and seven years old. 
That's what the Bible means when it says there is a lad here, the Greek word piderion. There's a little bitty boy here, which has five barley loaves and two small fishes. And then he asks the question, but what are they among so many? Well, when I was a little boy, I attended Sunday school. Last week, I visited the church where I grew up. I went back into the nursery, the nursery where I was as a child. And the little tiny tables that I sat at as a little bitty boy, they're all still there. And I pulled up a chair and sat at those little tables just for a memory. This was just last week. And I can remember sitting at that little table as our teacher would begin to tell stories of the Bible. Oh, I love the stories of the Bible, Daniel and the lion's den. I love to hear about Samson and Deliah. And I love to hear the story of the little boy with the five loaves and the two fish. And the reason I loved it when I was a little boy is because my dad was a fisherman and I loved every story there was about fish. And I could just imagine this little boy carrying two big fish and five big loaves of bread like five French loaves. <clears throat> but there's something wrong about this story. Why would a little boy between five and seven years old, be walking around with two great big fish and five big loaves of bread. So I decided to open my Greek New Testament, look into this verse to see what was this bread and what were the size of these fish. And to my astonishment, five barley loaves, in Greek is the word krithinos, and the word krithinos is the Greek word for a barley cracker the size of this. The size of this. So when he said, Lord, I found a little boy here between five and seven years old who has five barley loaves. Remove that word loaves. Insert the word crackers. It is the Greek word krithinos. Five little barley crackers. So I thought, well, if the crackers were that small, how big were the fish? And to my astonishment... The word fish is a Greek word which describes a fish so small it will fit on top of the cracker. And what they would do with the fish and the crackers is they would put one above the other, put the fish in the middle, and they would eat it as a little snack. That's what this little boy had, and that makes sense because it was a little boy. Anybody that's had little boys know that little boys love to stow food in every pocket they have, and when nobody else has food, they have something to munch on. This little boy's in the crowd. He's on the way to Jerusalem. If nobody else thought about it, he thought about it. He has stored some food away in his pockets, and just when he's pulling his crackers and his minnows out of his pocket, somebody appears in front of him and says, Don't eat that food. We need that food. They suddenly pick up the little boy, go running to the top of the hill. And Andrew says, Lord... We found food. Here is a little boy that has five crackers and two minnows. And then even he realizes how ridiculous is this idea when he says, but what are they among so many? Verse 10, Jesus said, make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. 
So the men set down a number about 5,000. Well, it appears at first that there was 5,000 in the crowd, but that's not what the Bible says. It says, have the men sat down, and the men were about 5,000. This word men is the Greek word andres. It describes the heads of households. It does not include the wives. It does not include the children. It means there were basically 5,000 families that were represented in the crowd. Well, you have to remember that the people of Israel believed children were a blessing from the Lord. And the more you had, the more blessed you were. And it was very common for children in one family at that time to number about 10 per family. 10 per family. And according to Jewish tradition, the entire family went to Jerusalem at the time of Passover. So now all 5,000 families, 5,000 heads of household with their families, let's just say a smaller number. Let's say it's not 10. Let's take a lower number, multiply it. It is likely that there was somewhere around 40,000 people in this crowd. 40,000 people. A football stadium. All of them headed toward Jesus. And all the disciples have been able to find to feed them is five crackers and two little fish. And they say, what are these? When we consider the size of this multitude. But Jesus saw food, he saw people, and Jesus saw opportunity. So Jesus said, have the men sat down. And when you read the other gospels, it tells us Jesus was very organized. He had them sit down by fives, by twenties, by fifties, have them sit down by family clans. And so now the disciples in obedience to Jesus, they're telling the people sit down. Very soon food will be served. They know all there is is five crackers and two small minnows. And I'm sure that in their mind, they must have wondered if this was false advertising. We are telling these people they're going to eat when we know there is no food up here. But Jesus has told us to tell the people to sit down. So wondering what in the world Jesus is doing. They're simply obeying his command, telling the people, sit down. Very soon, the food will be served. Of course, we don't have any idea where it's going to come from since there's no food up here and there's no shops up here. We don't know how this is going to happen. But Jesus says, soon, everybody's going to eat. Hey, there's a lot of grass up here. The view is beautiful. The breezes are blowing. Let's all sit down. This is a great place for a picnic. You know, very often when Jesus tells you to do something, you don't know where the resources are going to come from. But that's his problem. That's not ours. Our job is to obey his command. So can you say amen to that? You just got to obey what he tells you to do. Jesus always knows what he's going to do. And verse 11 says, And Jesus took the loaves. Hmm. That's not what the Greek says. The Greek is a little bit different, but it's very important. The Greek says Jesus received the loaves. He received them. Jesus will never take anything from anybody. He would never take the food from this little boy. The food belonged to the little boy. And if the little boy had said, excuse me, I've carried this food all day long. It's mine. I have a right to eat it. Jesus would have laid hands on him, blessed it, told him to enjoy it. Jesus would never take it. But Jesus will receive whatever you will put in his hands. 
And Jesus received the loaves. And when he had given thanks, the Greek word eucharisteo, it's where we get the word for the Eucharist. It describes a flowing of thanksgiving. The word you describes something good or swell from the word keras, which is the word for grace. Something that like grace just rolls out of the heart. And the scripture makes it so clear. Jesus received what was put into his hands. Lifted his head toward heaven. And he began blessing God. Eucharisteo. He gave thanks. It just began rolling out of his heart. There is no indication in Scripture that Jesus looked at the food and mentally tried to release the power to multiply it in his hands. In fact, there's no indication Jesus even looked at what was in his hands. Jesus fixated his eyes on the Father. And Eucharisteo, a continuous flow of thanksgiving. Jesus thanked God. Thanked God. The Greek means a continual flow of thanksgiving. This may have gone on for hours. The Bible doesn't tell us how long. But Jesus continued just thanking God, focusing on the Father, thanking the Father, thanking the Father. Jehovah Jireh, you are the one who provides, magnifying the Father, thanksgiving flowing out of his heart. And as he continually thanked God, the food in his hand just kept multiplying and multiplying and multiplying multiplying and multiplying. The longer he thanked God, it just kept multiplying and multiplying. And church, I want to tell you that where there is an attitude of thanksgiving, it releases the miraculous. It releases the miraculous. How much food did he multiply? The Bible tells us. He distributed to the disciples and the disciples to them that were set down. And likewise of the fishes, how much? As much as they would. And the following verse tells you how much that was. And when they were filled, the word filled in Greek, the tense means doubly filled. It is the same word you would describe what you feel like on the day of Thanksgiving when you have eaten and eaten and eaten and you sit down to eat one more time. And at the end of the day, you are repenting for gluttony. Anybody know that feeling? These people ate so much. They were filled. The Greek means double filled. They're now laying on their sides, holding their sides. And why did we eat so much? They've eaten and eaten and eaten and eaten. And the food just keeps coming and coming and coming and coming as much as they would. Now, you know, religious thinking says that God will bless us, but not too much. But notice Jesus doesn't say, tell those people they've had enough of my goodness. Tell those people it's wrong to eat too much. What do they mean they want more food over on that corner of the field? What do you mean over there they want more? They've already had enough. Jesus never says that. If they're willing to eat, he just keeps multiplying. He keeps multiplying. He keeps multiplying. He keeps multiplying. Until now, a crowd of probably 40,000 people are lying on their side. They're filled. They're double filled. They're hurting. They have eaten so much. And you know what's amazing? None of them knew where the food came from. All they knew was there was an abundant supply. It's always that way. 
in a local church. People come to church every week. The lights are turned on. Equipment works. Takes money to do all of this. Nobody thinks about where all the money comes from to do all of this. People just come and eat at the table. But those who work in the financial department and those who are believing God, they understand what a miracle it is that this is working all the time. There's a miracle involved here. These people had no idea what a miracle had taken place. All they knew is there was food there and they were eating. And Jesus said, gather up the fragments that remain that nothing be lost. Here we find the Jewish nature of Jesus. He's not going to waste one crumb. And the Bible says when they gathered them together, they filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. I want to say one more word about abundance. My friends, we don't even understand what is abundance. We don't understand. The Bible says God will provide all our need according to his riches in glory. That word riches, the Greek word plusias. It's where we get the word for a plutocrat. Someone that is filthy, stinking rich, which means God has so much, God's not even sure how much he has himself. It's an endless supply. In fact, that word plusius is used all over the Bible to describe God. He is rich in grace, filthy, stinking rich when it comes to grace. We're told in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4, he is rich in mercy. The word plusius, filthy, stinking rich when it comes to mercy. God has so much mercy, he's not even sure how much mercy he has. It is a boundless, endless supply. And when you look at how God provides in the Old Testament, it is just remarkable, remarkable. For example, the Bible tells us about the children of Israel who were in the wilderness. The psalmist tells us that God opened a portal or God opened a window in the heavens. Hang on because this is powerful. And when God opened the portal in the heavens, when he opened the window, manna came down. Manna. How much manna do you think appeared every morning in the wilderness? Well, I'll tell you what the rabbinical scholars say. The rabbinical scholars have written, you can read it. Every morning when they woke up, every morning, there was enough manna every day freshly fallen from heaven to feed them for 2,000 years. Every morning. Did they need that much food? No. But you see, lack is not a problem with God. Abundance is just who he is. When God gives, he gives abundantly. Abundantly. Can you imagine? 2,000 years supply every single morning. You know, if you woke up tomorrow and manna supernaturally appeared in this city, scientists would fly in from around the world to investigate. The journalists would descend on the city to write stories about the miraculous manna. But the children of Israel woke up to a miraculous supply, an abundant supply every day, every day a supply of 2,000 years of food every morning. Now, just let me tell you something encouraging. That window, that window, That window that opened that portal, it appears three times in the Old Testament. Just three times. 
Oh. The first time the window opens is when the flood of Noah took place. And when the window opened, everybody say the window opened. The Bible says rain began to pour. When that window opened, something mighty came through that window. It poured and it poured and it poured and it poured until the entire earth was covered with water. When the window of heaven opened, something abundant came through it. When the children of Israel were in the wilderness, the window opened and provision poured through it beyond their imaginations. The third place the window appears is in the book of Malachi where God says, bring all the tithe into the storehouse and prove me now, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open what? The windows of heaven and pour out a blessing so great that you will not have room to receive it. And church, what I want you to see is we need to change our thinking. We think too small. When God says he's opening a window, just like the rain in the time of Noah flooded, just like a year, 2,000 years of supply appeared every morning when that window opened. When God says, if you bring the tithe, I'll open the windows of heaven above you so you won't have room to receive it. We need to expand our thinking because God wants to pour something into our life beyond our ability to even understand. Something mighty happens when the window opens. It's amazing. And now Jesus begins multiplying. It's multiplying, 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 multiplying. The people lying on their sides, holding their sides, saying they hurt because they're so double filled. When they were filled, it says. Verse 13, Jesus told them to gather together the crumbs and they filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves. What would be the odds that there would just be 12 baskets? Well, how many disciples were there? 12. This word baskets is the first century word for a suitcase. They didn't know they were going to pick up fragments that day. They emptied their clothes, took what they had, and they began walking around filling what they had. Sometimes you just have to use what God gives you. They just begin filling whatever they had. God will fill anything that you will give him. Well, where had these disciples been the whole afternoon? Serving. Serving, 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 serving. People over here screaming, hey, can you please bring me some more of those crackers? Yes, we'll be back in just a minute. They're running to Jesus who's still standing. They're blessing God. The food just keeps multiplying. They're running here. They're running there. They're serving, they're serving, they're serving, they're serving. And they may have wondered, what about us? What about us? We serve all the time. What about us? Are we ever going to be served? Are we ever going to be eaten? But Jesus never forgets those that serve. And I want to tell you, if you work in the nursery or the music ministry or the parking lot ministry, Jesus knows all about you. You may say, I serve all the time, but hey, there are basket loads waiting for you. Jesus never forgets those that serve. Verse 14. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, this is of a truth the prophet that should come into the world. What men is that talking about? It's talking about his disciples. 
This event with multiplication took them into our new realm. They suddenly advanced into a new level of faith. Those men, when they saw, these were the same men that were on the platform and saw everything, but this was something they had never seen. And oh, how I love this about Jesus. It doesn't matter how long you've served him. There's always a new dimension to learn about him. There's a new level that you can go to. And this took them up in their level. But I have to end with this. If the disciples were amazed, how amazed do you think the little boy was? He understood the miracle more than anybody else. It started with his crackers. When he walked around that crowd, looking at people, laying on their sides, complaining that they ate too much, and saw the fragments, thousands and thousands and thousands of fragments and fishes laying in the blades of the grass, he could have said, uh, Hey, everybody. Those were my crackers. He knew better than anybody else. What if he had eaten them? They would have gone in. Forgive me, but soon they would have been in the toilet. History. But because he gave what he had, He saw a miracle. That's our testimony. 28 years ago, Jesus asked Denise and me for our crackers. I could have said no to the Lord. This past week, they're starting to write an autobiography of our life. I drove through the neighborhood where we lived. Kenneth Hagen was our neighbor. Oral Roberts was our neighbor. T.L. Osborne just lived down the street. Man, we were living in quite a place right on the golf course. When Jesus said, Rick, I want you to move your family, the five of you, to the Soviet Union. I could have said, you know, Lord, I'm not going to do that. And, you know, I'm a good Bible teacher. He would have blessed me right where I was. but I would have missed everything that he wanted to do through our lives. I would have wondered all of my life. I wonder what would have happened. I wonder what would have happened if I had given Jesus what he asked for. Millions of people's lives have been changed. Millions and millions of lives. I'm so thankful I said yes. And friend, I want to tell you, you may think that you're insignificant. We all tend to think that about ourselves. You may think that your contribution is too small. It's only small as long as it's in your control. But if you'll give what you have, Jesus is ready to receive. And when your talent your money 
and your dream and your house and your car and your finances leave your hands and they pass into the hands of Jesus, everything changes. Everything changes. And that's what Jesus wants to do for you today. He won't take it from you. No. But he will receive whatever you give to him.